This is the Horse Radio Network. Hello, and welcome to the Sport Horse Podcast. I'm Nicole Lakin. And I'm Tim Warden. And we have a great episode for you today. Before we begin, we wanted to remind everyone that if you're enjoying our podcasts and learning more about the science behind sport, then you should go to our website, www.sporthorsepodcast.com. We have a lot of really great content there that we we can't necessarily cover on the podcast, and we're constantly adding more great resources there. Um, Lots of conversations that get deeper into some of the subjects that we talk about on the podcast. So definitely go check that out. Our guest today is our fearless leader, the founder of the Equine High Performance Sports Group, Dr. Mark Revenaw. Mark is the owner of Northwest Equine Performance and Seattle Equine Performance, and is also a renowned expert in the diagnosis and treatment of lameness and performance issues. He has a vibrant practice and attracts clients from all over the Northwest. His greatest professional joy remains being part of a winning team, helping horses and owners make good decisions to advance equine health and maximize performance. He has worked as a U.S. team veterinarian on and off since the 90s as well. So uh, Mark is one of my uh, favorite people in the industry for sure. I, I met him back in 2017 at a small meeting he had organized in Oregon. Before that time, I'd never met Mark. I didn't know anything about the meeting really. I just had uh, Dr. Tim Ober, who's also a member of the group. I, I knew him a little bit from being in Wellington, Florida. And he told me that I had to go to this meeting, that it was right up my alley. He, he was definitely right about that. So Uh, For the meeting, Mark had brought together veterinarians, farriers, therapists, researchers, grooms, riders, trainers, as well as experts from human sports. And it was a really cool format. And during this two-day meeting, there was this incredible energy and enthusiasm to share ideas from different perspectives and to try to solve problems that have been plaguing equestrian sports. So you have like all these leaders in the field, all these team veterinarians, top riders, top researchers, top grooms. And they're all just sitting in a room together, sharing their experiences, their ideas. And it was uh, just incredible to see. And I was just immediately hooked. Uh, I uh, kept talking to Mark afterwards, kept pestering him. I'm sure he tried to get rid of me a few times, but I think eventually he just kind of gave in and kept me in the loop on this for this group. I was fortunate enough that when uh, the Equine High Performance Sports Group was launched, uh, I think late in 2020 or early 2021 was our official launch time uh, that he included me on the initiative and uh, just so glad to be a part of it because it really is making a tremendous impact, I, I think, and it, it's a great form and I learned so much from being involved uh, with this group. Yeah. So the Equine High Performance Sports Group was created, uh, as you sort of alluded to, Tim, because of a group of brilliant veterinarians who realized that you know, we could do a lot better for our equine athletes, um, that there's a real lack of collaboration industry-wide that was really stunting any kind of innovation and creative thinking. At those early meetings, when people really dropped their armor and, and started to share with each other in the pursuit of moving equine sports medicine forward, you know, a spark really went off for people like you and Mark and, and Dr. Ober and everybody um, who was involved in those early days. I personally was brought on a bit later to think about how we could really move some of the group's initiatives forward. Um, and that kind of brings us to where we are today. You know, during my first meeting with Mark, I I was really sort of struck. He, he just came off as a really creative, outside of the box, big thinker. Um, and I think you'll really get a sense of that today from our discussion with him. And I 
you know, also without sounding too cheesy, I'm just really excited to be a part of this group that um, really wants to have a, a real impact on on the sport and on horses in general and, and you know, thinking outside of the box and, and finding better ways to care for and manage the, the sport horses that we love so much. So without further ado, let's go ahead and welcome Mark. Hey, Mark, and thanks for joining us on this episode of the Sport Horse Podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. Awesome. So to kick this off, can you tell us about the Equine High Performance Sports Group and how you identified the need for this organization? What were you seeing in everyday practice that necessitated this massive undertaking? The the sports group kind of happened organically. You know, when you do this game long enough, you, 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 and hopefully as you do it, you continue to look to, for ways to improve. Um, and as I alluded to here earlier, um, we had these, these closed door meetings amongst a small group of people. We uh, had very open-ended goal of just trying to improve how we were, how our team, U.S. team uh, horses and riders were doing. And when we got kind of the right people under the roof at the same time, it set, it set the stage for a really dynamic moment for all of us where we realized how many opportunities there were, provided we were willing to think differently about how we're managing our horses and how we're running our programs. Um, so it was kind of a shift of mindset. You know, this has been 10 years now since that all started. And uh, I would say the, you know, what was it? Two years ago, we became a uh, official group is that right you guys one year two years ago i live in a time warp but <laughs> yeah, i i i only know pre-pandemic and pandemic there's no okay. there's no sense of time beyond that yeah okay <laughs> well you know since we've become a formal organization um it's really kind of completely changed it and it's been incredibly rewarding to me because i found myself increasingly aware of how important these issues are that we're talking about. Um, but it was just, it, it felt like it was impossible to really get traction and actually do something about, um, you know, we were identifying problems, but we were not coming up with solutions. And I feel like at this stage with our group, the projects we're taking on is we're actually looking for ways to find tangible um, methods and techniques and products to help and and take it a, really a different angle, much more much more geared toward how they uh, manage human athletes than uh, how we have traditionally managed our horse athletes. So you mentioned a, a willingness to think differently. Could you expand on that a little bit? And what does that mean to you? Yeah, it's kind of a character flaw of mine. I think it it, it just happens. It, um, I'm saying that kind of jokingly. You know, we get we get very very focused on a certain strategy to get an end result. Um, there's that slide in one of my talks that um, that has Henry Ford talking about. Um, you know, when he was getting started, all they had was horses. They didn't have horses, and his quote is that. If I had asked people what they wanted, they would have just said faster horses. I love that quote. It works because <laughs> I'm a horse vet and it's kind of funny, but, um, you know, it's a really good quote because I think sometimes you got to step, you know, that's all they knew. You know, this here comes a guy with all, you know, completely different way of 
um, offering a mode of transportation. And he, you know, he had to go for a while against the grain because everyone thought he was crazy doing what he was doing. I got to tell you, I I can relate to that because I certainly felt that way for quite some time as this project was getting up and going. You know, people tell me I'm trying to save the world and uh, I'm a heretic. And I mean, it was all done in good good fun. You know, everyone likes to give me crap about stuff and I do, too. So it was all fun. But um but there, it certainly was that for quite a while. And so this is really rewarding now to have a you know, group of people as qualified as yourselves and the other people in the group kind of get strategic and say, hey, what are we going to do to make this happen? It's incredibly rewarding to me. So cause I kind of came on board well after this started. So I think my first meeting was in 2017. And then in 2018, we went to Nebraska and uh, we yeah. had the meeting there. And I remember spending uh, the day with with you and everyone at the Nebraska Athlete Performance Lab. Mm-hmm. And I thought that that was like a real, at least for me, it was a real mental shift because here you were at like the, the Nebraska campus with all of their NCAA uh, athletes walking through this lab. And it, what was really cool is it was kind of a one-stop shop, right? They had mm-hmm. uh, in just one building, they had their nutritionists, they had their biomechanists, they had their physiologists, they had their physiotherapists, chiros. It was kind of just everything. And the, with the big benefit being that everyone's talking to each other, right? And so it yeah. really came down to that collaborative approach. And I think that's what's really cool about um, what you've done with the Equine High Performance Sports Group is you're, you know, obviously there are a lot of ideas that, you, that we have and it's a great platform, but I think almost above anything else, it's really about collaboration. And I think that that's kind of going to be the way to, to solve a lot of these questions, right? Yeah, absolutely. And that was thanks to Sharon Klassen, who totally, totally made that happen for us. That was remarkable. And again, just reinforced what we were already thinking. One of the fascinating things about that, though, beside, I remember walking down the, (laughs) walking down the hall and, and um, I'm not going to remember the director's name. Oh, no, it's Jack. Jack said, hey, meet uh, whatever her name was, Maria. She's doing a PhD on on, on uh, measuring stress levels through saliva, salivary biomarkers. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. you know, nice to meet you. <laughs> and then we kept <laughs> keep going, and then oh yeah, here's this guy. He's doing um, his PhD in recovery from uh, strenuous activity and how to maximize performance. Oh wow, nice to meet you too. But the way they the way they situate that whole thing, which I think is really absolutely one of the most transformational parts of this strategy is that they 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 interact the research department the 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 athletic department is working directly with the athletes in their research and that's something that in the veterinary world is really uncommon that's to say most research that happens doesn't really necessarily happen with with the athletes that are out and competing hard and so there's kind of on, on there are a lot of chasms that we're going to talk about, but that is a big one. And I think, you know, I hope we're all trying what we're trying to do here is not just come up with some nifty strategies, but apply them and apply them to the people who need them and who are going to use them and evaluate the real athletes out there, not not a group of, you know, of horses that were taken off the ranch and have been retired for 20 years or something like that. So it's kind of 
athlete-based research is is uh, it, that was that's a big important concept in um, moving forward with a lot of this stuff that we're doing. For instance, the orthobiologic data tracking. We're tracking data on actual patients that are out competing and and in the real world. You know how do those horses do? Not just the the research animals that they might otherwise be be testing. So you brought up the equine clinicians data initiative. Would you mind just breaking that down a little bit for people, the inspiration behind that um, and how ultimately we see it being able to impact veterinary sports medicine? Well, so maybe Nicole, maybe you can start (laughs) what it is. And then I can tell this basically some version of the story of how we how, how it happened for me. Okay, fair. The reason that Mark has asked me to share what it is, is because I helped create it. Um, so the Equine Clinicians Data Initiative is one of the projects that we have going in the Equine High Performance Sports Group. Um, and it's really designed to collect data from practitioners who are actually out there treating sport horses with orthobiologics. So um, with sort of the most cutting edge regenerative medicine that's available um, and really get a good understanding right from the field, what's working, how well does it seem to be working? What's the perceived perceived efficacy level, both from you know the owner and, and rider of the horse and from the vet uh, and, and other people uh, that are stakeholders for that particular horse? as well as, um, you know, what, what has, you know, negative, negative side effects or, um, uh, post-treatment implications so that we can, you know, avoid those types of things and ultimately help people make better, more informed decisions when they're treating both injuries in sport horses, as well as, uh, performance related, uh, issues, I, I guess you could say. Is is that a, a good description, Mark? Yeah, yeah, very, very good. I mean, I think the, the idea is that we actually start getting uh, data so we can make informed decisions about these new projects. Or, I'm sorry, these new products, these regenerative medicine products, they're appearing, you know, quickly, and there are many of them. The, the um, you know, I don't know that this all happened in such rapid succession, but a number of things happened leading up to it for me. One was, um, if you listen to the Platinum Summit talk, I talk about data and how in the veterinary industry, in terms of treating sport horses, there's very, very, very little real data telling us what we should or shouldn't do. Um, and it's it's kind of a scary moment when you realize how little real information we have to be doing what we do on a day in day out basis. Um, but we had <clears throat> I was really fortunate to be there's a there's a local um, physician here in Portland who's just amazing. He's a uh, interventional radiologist and he uses um, pretty much exclusively a, a regenerative treatment on people. And he and I got connected and I spent some time with him. And eventually he had me uh, give a presentation at their annual meeting, the Interventional Ortho- Orthobiologic Foundation. Um, and when I went and gave the talk there, um, I realized that we do probably, I mean, we have 
tremendous numbers of horses that we treat, but we have zero follow-up information about what does or doesn't work. And here they, you know, the MDs were tracking what was working. They were tracking safety levels. They were tracking short and long-term. And, you know, I was pretty, pretty blown away at um, how different their, their strategy was in moving this part of the industry forward. I'm firmly convinced that regenerative treatments that are out there we're just in the beginning phases of it. I think this is going to be a major, major component of medicine moving forward. But um, I came back from that thing, and within a week or so, I came back, and um, there was a here's a new product. I'm not going to reference the name of it, but I, you know, used it on my wife's horse. Was assured that it was safe. Um, I used it. The horse had a severe adverse reaction. Wouldn't bear weight on the leg for a full week. Um, and I was, you know, really upset about it. Um, a few weeks later, no, actually a few months later, I saw an advertisement for that same product saying that there were no, no known negative effects of the product. And um, <laughs> it's pretty disheartened, you know, it had a very heated phone call, but, you know, there it was still, still in all. And later, you know, later in the week, I got a message, uh, uh, local farrier has a new regenerative product is better than PRP. And, you know, so I'm getting my inf information now from a farrier, nothing against farriers, but it really made, you know, that those kind of experiences in a short period of time really made me just say, look, we've got to do better than this. I don't know how there's, there is some data, but it's really limited on small numbers of horses we have people out treating million dollar horses with products that we have very little information about. We just need to do better. Um, and that was kind of, so I try, you know, I tried to track stuff myself in the practice, but we're busy, you know, and that it works for a couple of weeks and then everyone gets too busy and um, you know, the hassle of doing it just kind of uh, makes you stop doing it. Um, but with this, I think, Nicole, what you've come up with, I think is brilliant. And I think it's it's doable. And I think particularly when we start combining results from different practices, uh, it's going to be a game changer. Um, and it'll be tremendously valuable to me personally as a practitioner, to my clients even more so, um, but then also to the industry um, at large. It's a It's a it's a big step forward. Uh, it's probably one of the biggest things that I think I'm going to be involved with as in my career. And I've, I've been fortunate, you know, I've been involved with Olympic gold medals and world cup wins and things like that. I, I think this is a much bigger step than, than any of those. It, it always comes back to, if it matters, uh, the measure it, right. And what you guys are, are doing with this uh, platform, it's, it's going to be a game changer. And uh, just talking about the, the power of starting to combine that data and combining what different practices are finding. And I think it's going to be uh, just, just hugely impactful and uh, just switching gears slightly, uh, just being mindful of the time. You recently gave a talk, Mark, at the United States Venting Association annual meeting. You're great on the podcast, but say you're, you're even better live. They, they keep inviting you back to give these talks. I've been lucky <laughs> enough to be there in person for one, and, and it was a great talk. Uh, for your most recent one, you, you went through and you gave uh, 10 lessons you'd learned throughout your career. And uh, I, I won't ask you to summarize uh, those points here. We'll uh, link that in the show notes. And 
if anyone wants to go and listen to this talk, which I would encourage you to do, it's a great talk. Uh, you can check out that link in our show notes. But um, just based on what what you've seen, uh, kind of your vision for the future of sports medicine, what are you most excited about, or uh, what do you think is going to have the biggest impact? I think I think we're we're just kind of arriving at a new way of looking at how we manage our athletes. And I think it's a much more effective, it's, it's, it's looking at the whole thing through a different lens. And like I said earlier, I mean, this whole inquiry is an, is an open-ended question. So I don't really know exactly where it's going to wind up. Um, but I'm, I'm excited that I think we're going to be getting at more of the core issues um, that our horses and riders are facing rather than dealing with the fallout from maybe incorrect riding, training, conditioning, management, that type stuff. And it's not easy. No, these things are not simple, you know, simple things to figure out. It's going to take time. But I really, you know, the longer I go down this road, the more convinced I am that there's just so much opportunity for our horses and our riders to get better results. Um, And it's not necessarily going to come out of a needle and a syringe. It's going to come out of getting more strategic about how we manage our horses, how we condition them, how we monitor them how we recover them, that type of stuff. So you mentioned, um, you know, sort of the, the change in how we're, how we're approaching um, sport horses and, and sport horse medicine. Um, and I'm just curious, do you feel like there's like the prevalence of injuries and performance issues has changed over time? Um, do you find that sport horses are healthier and having longer careers now than when, you know, maybe when you started your career or at at different phases of your career? I think it's, I think the times have changed, Nicole. I think, you know, we expect an awful lot more out of our horses now than we did before. People travel way more. People compete year round when they didn't used to do that. So the workload has changed tremendously Um, over and, and we've gotten much better at identifying injuries. And we've gotten much better at treating injuries. Um, so it's that's really difficult to say, but we certainly have not eliminated the problems. There's plenty of problems that horses are enduring all the time, um, new injuries that are happening. So I don't, um, you know, this, this is the point you're bringing up, I think is probably because I brought it up in one of my talks as I, I like to talk about how, but how you know all these different areas of advancement that we've made in the industry, but but in the end, I'm not really convinced that we've reduced the rate of injuries tremendously, um, and I I think it's I I think it's a complicated equation, but I I'm not convinced that we have arrived at all of our best answers yet. I think one of the things that um, has been really inspiring and cool for me in in working with you, Mark, is how much and how well you've learned from 
human sports uh, professionals, ex- experts, people that are just really good at what they do in training human athletes and how you've managed to take that and, and learn from it and apply it to sport horses um, and, and how that's sort of the inspiration for the sport horse series and for the workshop that we'll talk about in just a second. Um, would you mind talking a little bit about that and, and how that's impacted the way that you practice? It's it's just an interesting thing. You know, you, these horses drive in the driveway day in and day out and they have, all of them are unique. You kind of have a certain lens on how you want to manage that problem. But um, when you start talking to, you know, you kind of have these moments when you talk to real, the top end people that deal with human athletes and, and, and start to realize that maybe um, you're, you're dealing with a problem that should have been dealt with much earlier. The difficulty is that I don't have an answer um, at this stage for many of those instances about what should have been done earlier. (laughs) But I do know that there are, um, that there are ways that it's done in in the human sports realm. And, uh, and you're in my thinking has changed over time. And um, I do find myself talking an awful lot more about um, the horse's fitness program, strength program, how they should be working, you know, um, one side of the horse rather than both sides of the horse to kind of get symmetry. Um, I don't I don't think that's a real good answer to what you're asking me, Nicole. Um, I'm sorry. It's it's complicated, though. It's a, it's a you know. When you've been doing something a certain way for 20 years, as I had, and had success with it, it it takes time to uh, be willing to face the fact that you really might have a hell of a lot to learn still. Um, But once you do that, it's incredibly liberating. And um, one of the things that has been really helpful for me before you know, in the nineties, I used to race mountain bikes and I was, you know, whatever I was as as good as I could be given the fact that I was really busy with work, but there were, um, you know, having, having to go out and, and be disappointed because you ran out of breath, uh, or you ran out of steam. Um, you know, you realize that the discussion of, of how you're, how you're, how we're managing our athletes, there's, there's no discussion of whether I treated my ankle or my shoulder or something like that. It's a, it's really a conversation about how to maximize my performance. And, and I've, I've kind of had that mindset um, about our horses since then. I just didn't have the tools to be able to address them, but boy, when you talk with these and work with these people that are high-end human athletic professionals and Tim Warden, I mean, for God's sake, you're, <laughs> you're in that category too you know i i you know i can't tell you how many times i kind of have a notion of hey you know do you think recovery is important and then oh my god you know it's like this this whole you know chapters of books and departments and of of universities are dedicated toward this topic um and if you're receptive to it there's just so many opportunities there to to do it you know, to, to do it better, but we're just figuring out what questions we should be asking at this stage. Gradually over time, I'm hoping that we're going to be getting more and more real answers. And, you know, I think that's one of the goals I'm hoping 
will come from this athletic health series is that we're having the conversations that are not being had otherwise. And what I've found is my clients are incredibly receptive to it. That, you know, people have said, oh, people don't want to, you know, horse riders don't want to know that. I can't disagree more. They absolutely do want to know that. They're just not exposed to it in any kind of an intelligent or coherent way. And you guys, you know, Tim, Nicole, you guys are doing an amazing job of of presenting these ideas to people. You're not force feeding them anything. You're just saying, hey, look, check this out. Here's some interesting information. See, see what you want to do with it. And um, I'm so excited that these conversations are actually starting to happen in a public space um, and they're happening the way you guys are doing it. I just, I think it's wonderful. I guess building on that and, and something we've alluded to, but we haven't had really dove into yet is you have something pretty, pretty exciting coming up, Mark in uh, California this week. And yeah. uh, by, by the time this podcast airs, this will be over, but I would anticipate uh, quite a few people will, will reach out and ask if there's going to be another one happening because it's a really cool format, uh, what, what you're planning. And uh, why don't you share a little bit with us about uh, kind of what, you, what you've what you got cooking down in California? Sure. So there's uh, a guy that I, through the sports group meetings, I've become friends with. His name's Peter Park. And he uh, works with really top-end elite uh, human athletes. And uh, we've kind of stayed in touch. And um, after I blew out my knee a few years ago and then hurt my back because I kept flexing horses standing on one leg. Of course, I knew better, but I did it anyway. That's what most medical professionals do is not listen to their own advice. But anyway, there it is. And uh, I was kind of trying to get back in the game here. And I thought, well, why don't I call Peter? And so Peter has helped me kind of get basic strength and fitness and, and symmetry and all that kind of stuff. And as he was doing it, he had me using heart rate monitors on myself and and I was just struck by how much I learned about myself using the heart rate monitors. And right around that time, Chris Navas from Penn um, has been working with some of the eventers on using heart rate monitors on horses. And um, it, it seemed like some of the kind of the basic principles about what you can get out of a heart rate monitor were escaping some of the riders. And so I said, well, why don't we, um, why don't we get Peter to train the riders about, you know, their, their own fitness, strength, you know, conditioning, aerobic, anaerobic, explosive strength, balance, all that kind of stuff. Um, so we'll, you know, why don't we do that in the morning and see if the riders can conceptually grasp how to use a heart rate monitor on themselves. My guess is that when it then turns time to use the heart rate monitor on the, their horses, they're going to have a much better feel about what they're actually trying to do with it, right? Because we've been using heart rate monitors on horses forever. We have mountains of information, but we're not, you know, that last step of actually doing something with that information that matters um, has been lacking for most people. So the idea of this workshop is going to be in the morning, we're going to, we're, he's going to, you know, evaluate the riders um, for their for their fitness, strength, conditioning. And then in the afternoon, we're going to do the same thing and we're going to work on the horses. And then in the evening, we've got a couple of really good talks um, 
prepared and some question and answers. And again, this is a, a similar philosophy. It's open-ended um, kind of a lot of uh, how can we do this better kind of strategy. Um, I don't know how it'll go. I, I am I'm really optimistic about it. But in the end, we're going to just have to see how much benefit there actually is. Um, as I, I would tell you, there's a lot of enthusiasm about it. I mean, the idea was on a Saturday morning, and by Saturday night, we had people from all over the globe uh, lined up to come talk and participate in it, <laughs> which I always think is a good sign when there's that kind of interest. But we kept it, you know, scaled down um, so it can be a small group and there's no big pressure on anyone. Um, it would be really cool, though, if it does work, that we could we could develop these things where if a person really wanted to um, see how they could improve themselves as athletes and learn more about the real foundational principles of, as Peter says, building a better athlete, it goes through nutrition, recovery, all, all of that stuff. And then, and then also enable the people to, to learn how to do that on their horse. I think this is definitely kind of a physical manifestation of these kind of theoretical ideas that we've been working on um, for the last, whatever, five, five, 10 years. So exciting. I, I mean, there's no doubt that there's a hunger for this kind of stuff. Um, and I, I believe we'll definitely have a lot more information and, and some video from uh, this upcoming workshop available, um, maybe even by the time you're listening to this podcast, who knows. Um, but I, I wonder if you could just maybe give an example um, for me and, and anyone like me who, like, you know, understands what heart rate heart rate monitors do, but maybe not necessarily why they matter. Um, if you could just give an example of the, the types of questions that, that you would maybe seek to answer with heart rate monitors. Yeah. So Nicole, what a great example was, uh, you know, he, the, the, the conversations I've had with Peter, a lot, a lot of people train in the gray zone. So, you know, there's a certain level, you keep your heart rate under a certain amount and you're building your aerobic capacity you're building your ability to burn fat. And if you get above that level, I mean, which is, of course, when I was sitting there on the stationary bike, I wanted to show that I could go above that heart rate level that he advised. And he'd come back and kick my butt and say, no, slow down. That's not what you want to do. You're being ineffective. You're, you know, you're stressing your body unnecessarily. We're trying to train your aerobic capacity. Stay there. Stay under 130 or whatever it was. Um. And then, and then when it comes time to do your sprinting, then you actually push it harder than you normally would. The, the thing is, you're, you're just being much more effective at, at, at strengthening and conditioning your body and putting much less wear and tear on it. So it's, it's really, um, it's, it's, it's a much more effective way of training. It's, it just gives you tools to, uh, uh, to make decisions about how your where how and where your training program is, and then you know the 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 sequela from that, the development after is you eventually, you know, those heart rate values don't change. Um, your workload can change, but your heart rate stays low as you get more and more fit, and then with time, you get a pretty good feel about what your normal is 
And he talks a lot about how well an athlete is able to absorb training, um, which I think is a fascinating idea. But if you're working super hard and you're not getting stronger, there's something wrong. You know, either you got to look at your recovery, you need to look at your overall health, your lifestyle, your nutrition, something like that. But it, you know, this then all of a sudden, if you fast forward a couple steps, starts to turn into the conversation about injury prevention and early identification of injury, which um, is a real thing uh, in in the human professional sports teams. It's a very real thing. We're far away from that, but it's not out of the question. You know, I think as trainers, I think it can be very, very difficult sometimes just to have reference points about what normal is for you or for your horse more specifically. And this this kind of gives you a little bit of some framework about um, where your horse is compared to other horses in your barn or compared to himself, that horse himself a year ago, or, you know, things of that nature. Um, you, can, you can see, you can quickly build, start building constructs of where your horse should be and whether you're ready to move to another level or, you know, things of that nature. I, I, those are all really good part, points, Mark. And it, it kind of reminds me of what we were talking with or discussing with Carl Valley on our third podcast episode. And uh, for our listeners, like, go, and, go and check that episode out because he does a really good job of uh, framing exactly what Mark is talking about. Like, how do you actually monitor athletes and start to look for these changes? Because uh, as, as Mark said, usually just one measurement isn't super useful, but when you start uh, collecting data over time and starting to think about, okay, how's, how's my horse change? Is it, is it improving? Is it decreasing? Is it becoming overtrained? Then that, those become the really powerful pieces of information that could be incredibly valuable. We, we've reached the end of our podcast episode, Mark. And uh, one final question for you. We end every episode with uh, this, this question. If you could talk directly to a horse, uh, maybe to one of uh, your patients, what would you want to tell them? What do you wish horses knew? And how would uh, that impact our sport, do you think? Yeah, I mean, for me on a day-in, day-out basis, I would love for the horses to know that I'm trying to help them because I don't know how they would know that. I don't usually do – well, that's not true. I give them cookies and things now. But other than <laughs> that, the horses don't generally go to the vet office to have, you know, have fun. Um, and so that would be – that would definitely be my message to the horses that I'm trying to help them. Um, yeah, I don't I, – you know <laughs> – Beyond that, uh, um, yeah, I don't know. What would you tell them, Tim, Nicole? Ooh, yeah, we we keep asking this question, but I don't I don't have a super good answer. I, <laughs> I don't like I guess, when the when the roles are reversed. Yeah, I I, I, <laughs> I guess yeah. Well, we're I, on the same team here, so I figure I can get away with asking <laughs> yeah. you guys. I I guess for me, I I wish that they would, um. I guess I would like to tell them to try to communicate a little bit better. I think that um, sometimes, you know, we get busy in uh, the barn and sometimes we overlook the small things. And I almost feel like, you know, the, the squeaky wheel gets the grease, right? And sometimes if a horse makes a bigger deal about an issue, then it's more likely to get uh, resolved. So I think sometimes we have those stoic horses in the barns. And I, I personally think that those are actually the riskiest ones to deal with because it is so hard to read them and to know when there's something uh, kind of cooking underneath the surface. And so it becomes that much harder to catch it early. Mm. Uh, I guess that would be my, 
response. Nicole, I'll throw it over to you. (laughs) Uh, I've been sitting here stewing while you were answering, trying to come up with something good, but um, I mean, to, to me, like the most important thing that I want my horse to know is that it's like as important to me that she's enjoying her job as it is that I'm enjoying the ride. And um, I think that we can communicate that to our horses. So I'm not sure it's a really good answer to this question. Um, <laughs> but I, I think it comes back to our bigger conversation about the ways that, you know, you manage and care for a horse and, and plan their competition schedule and what they do, you know, for recovery and all of that. That's to me, how you, how you communicate that to your horse. But maybe if I could just, you know, tell her straight out that she's supposed to be having fun as much as I am, that would be, that would be good. <laughs> there was a, there was a really interesting, uh, Oh boy, I don't remember what the heck it was, but the the the, the uh, one of the end kind of notions of the I think it was a TV show was that we've not yet learned how to listen, and I, that really resonated with me, particularly when I deal with horses that have things that are difficult and esoteric, and I don't know neck problems would be a great example. Um, you know, the horses are probably giving us the signal. We just haven't quite figured out exactly what the signal is that we should be listening to for, um, and I'm sure for riders, uh, that it's the same, it's the same deal. Um, you know, kind of like how, how, how astute can you be to perceive what your horse is telling you? Um, I think that's a real good mindset. I try to have that mindset when I'm examining horses, um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that brings us back to, you know, the sort of premise behind the sport horse podca- podcast in general is, is bridging the gaps between, you know, science and horsemanship. And that's a component that is so horsemanship uh, heavy. Um, you know, the, the really, really good horse, pe- horsemen, horse people, um, they're good listeners. They, they know they might not be able to always identify and pinpoint, you know, specific joint or, or structure that's causing the horse some sort of discomfort or restricting their performance, but they, they know how to listen to their horses and, and they know when something's up before, you know, the average person does. And, um, they're, they're thoughtful about, about all of that. So I, I think it's a, a nice full circle moment there. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Well, on that note, we just want to thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today, Mark. Obviously <laughs> we could have gone on for, for far longer, but um, we'll call it a day for now. Um, you know, Tim and I are a little bit biased, but we think that the initiatives that, you know, we, we got a chance to talk about today are really what the industry needs to advance and grow in an ethical manner. And we're all just happy to be a part of it. Well, it's great having you guys. Uh, Yeah, it's wonderful. Onward and upward. Keep at it. (laughs) Awesome. Perfect. Thank you so much, Mark. My pleasure. Thanks, you guys. The sponsor of today's episode is Barn Manager. Barn Manager provides easy-to-use management software that enables barns to improve their record-keeping, scheduling, communication, and business management. With offerings starting at $10 a month, Barn Manager offers solutions for any size stable. Barn Manager is designed for barn managers by barn managers. They communicate with their users on a regular basis to see how their platform can grow and improve. Thanks to customer feedback, Barn Manager is preparing to launch invoicing, payment processing, and revenue tracking tools as part of a new subscription offering called Barn Manager Pro. 
Find more information on their website and sign up for a personal live demo to learn how Barn Manager can meet your barn's needs. Barn Manager also has a special offer for our listeners. Sign up for a free trial of Barn Manager at www.barnmanager.com and enter code PODCAST10 for 10% off the first three months of your subscription. Go and check it out and we'll have more details in a link to our podcast. So that was our fourth episode and uh, I, I must say I'm, in, I'm enjoying them more and more. I, I think we're starting to hit our stride a little bit and uh, no one better to do it with than Mark, who was really the, the person behind this whole initiative, getting us together and uh, starting the Equine High Performance Sports Group, as well as uh, leading this podcast charge. So uh, if you want to learn more about the group and kind of everything that Mark was talking about today, then head over to www.ehpsg.com. You can find the links to today's guest and the show notes at www.sporthorsepodcast.com. As a reminder, we have a lot of great educational content located on our site that I really encourage you to check out if you want to learn more. If you enjoy these podcasts, then the videos are exactly for you. Um, They really dive into concepts deeper than we can do on the podcast, and they provide a lot more of the um, actual science behind concepts and will make you a better and more informed horseman or woman. (laughs) Uh, You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Sport Horse Series, and you can have all 20 plus shows of the Horse Radio Network with you wherever you go with our free app for iPhone and Android. Go to the App Store and search Horse Radio Network to find that app. Um, And definitely, please, please, please go to uh, wherever you listen to this podcast right now. uh, Subscribe so that you stay up to date on our latest episodes. um, Write us a review. All of that will help other people to find this podcast more easily. And, you know, the more people that we can reach, uh, hopefully the, the more people we can help. So with all that said, here is to keeping your sport horses happy and healthy.